Well, Happy New Year. It's good to see you. What's today, the 7th or the 8th? 7th. Man, like we're way into 2024. You know, it feels weird to say Happy New Year, but it is good to see you. I hope that last Sunday, you know, it's a tradition for our church that that Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's, we want to give our volunteers a day to rest and Um, So many of you helped make Sundays happen, and so I hope that it was a restful day for you. It also gave Pastor Joe and his team an opportunity to make some improvements around our building and our youth room and the upstairs bathroom and and, um, just a little bit of progress, steady progress as we get ready to start our major renovation uh, this spring. I'm just excited about that. But Happy New Year. Glad we're in church together. If you're a guest with us today, maybe you decided, you know what, I'm starting the year in church, all right? Well, this is not like a gym, all right? You know, you go to the gym at the new year and like you feel real insecure, like everybody's judging you because they know you showed up for the new year. Okay, well, this is not a gym. We're not judging you. We're just glad you're here. And uh, it's a great way to start a new year. And um, there's no equipment to learn how to use around here because uh, I definitely don't know how to use it. But um, you, if you know me, if you've been around here long at all, you know that I am definitely a sucker for a new year. I know it's just a day on the calendar. I said that earlier. You know, it's just a, another sunset and a sunrise it, that, you know, literally speaking, there's nothing different about, you know, December 31st or January 1st or the first week of a new year. And I know that logically, I know that's true. But I do feel as if there's something to the human psyche, there's something to our spirit that loves the idea of change, loves the idea of a fresh start. And I don't, I'm not qualified or I don't have the moral authority to stand up here and talk about all the different areas of our life where we could change and have self-discipline and all that stuff. But I do um, love to take this opportunity every year to hopefully inspire you towards some spiritual change in your life, spiritual progress in in your life. And um, I believe that all of us, regardless of what changes maybe you're wanting to make in your life, I believe that all of us, if, if we felt in this year that we were closer to God, if we felt like God was closer to us, I believe that we would feel like it's been our best year. Whether we gained weight or lost weight, saved money or spent money, whether we made friends or didn't make friends, found a spouse, didn't find a spouse, if you got to the end of this year and felt as if you were closer to God and that God was closer to you, you would feel like this is one of your best years. I believe that, and I'm praying for that, and I hope that for you and for our our church. And so that's what we're gonna talk about over these next few weeks. Today, we're starting a, a new series of messages called Finding God, and the premise is very simple. We're taking five weeks to look in the Bible and find places where the Bible promises we can find God. We can find God. Now, there's more than five. We've just selected five. But these are places in the Bible where the Bible promises you can find God. You don't have to hope. You don't have to guess. You can find him. You can find him. And for our first week, our first scripture that we read today, God told Jeremiah, he was talking about his his people in the Old Testament and they were going through exile and they were gonna have 70 years of some trouble and, and, and pain. But God says after those 70 years, 29, Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, God made them the promise and this promise holds true for us. We find this in the New Testament as well. God made this promise that if you will search for me, you will find me. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will you will find me. God promises us 
We don't have to guess. We don't have to hope. God promises us that if we search for him and if we look for him wholeheartedly, we can find him. And I love, he kind of repeats it. He flips it and just says it a different way. In verse 14, he says, you will be found by me, says the Lord. And I just love that. And it reminds me of playing hide and seek with a small kid because they don't really wanna play hide and seek. They wanna play hide and found. You know, that's true. If you've ever played hide and seek, you know, with a small kid, they go hide. And if it's been 30 seconds and they don't think you're getting close, sometimes they'll call out, but other times they'll just come out of their hiding spot and stand in the hallway, you know, like, because they don't wanna, they wanna be found. That's the fun of the game. They want to be found. And that just, that's what I thought of when I read that verse in 14. You will be found by me, says the Lord. You'll be found. You will find me. This isn't the only place in the Bible that makes this promise. There's lots of places similar. Proverbs 8, 17 says, those who search will surely find me. Lamentations 3.25 says, the Lord's good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. James 4, 8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. He promises. He promises you and me that we will find him if we search for him. If we look for him. Now, older translations of this verse, some of you are familiar with older translations that say, seek me, seek me, and you will find me. Seek me and you will find me. This is a promise that you and I have. And, and what a great promise to start a year with. That God isn't saying, hey, if you'll try to pray a little bit, 50-50 shot, I'll show up when you pray. We'll see. We'll flip a coin. God doesn't say, hey, if you read your Bible, if you fast a meal, he doesn't say, if you show up for prayer meeting, I haven't made up my mind yet, I'll let you know. God says, no, when you put forth any attempt or effort to seek me, to search for me, to find me, I'm gonna let you find me. I'm gonna let you find me. And so that's what I wanna talk about today is I wanna talk about seeking. How do we seek God? How, how, what does that look like to seek God? And even a better question, why don't we seek God and look for God and search for God as much as we want to? And to start this, I want you to just imagine for a moment that I said to you tomorrow morning, I promised you that tomorrow morning at 7.30 a.m., if you went to a specific place at a specific time, you could find God in the flesh. Like for a second, like imagine I said, um, if you go 7.30 a.m. tomorrow, uh, Panera on Dixie, back left corner booth, you, God will be there. You don't even have to buy anything because it's all overpriced anyway. You don't, have to, you don't have to buy anything, no $8 soups. You don't have to buy anything. You, you can find God in that back left corner booth at 7.30 a.m. tomorrow morning on the Dixie Panera. And I promised you that. You know what I know about you? You'd be there. Even those of you who would be cynical and doubtful, you'd be there. Even those of you who uh, are not morning people, you'd set like 10 alarms five minutes apart. My, my daughter taught me a terrible thing. She taught me that you can tell the, because I use an Alexa to, to, for my alarm in my room. And my daughter taught me that you can say, um, uh, you, you can, what, what do we say? Um, snooze, yeah. If you say snooze from the bed, that Alexa will give you five more minutes. But she'll also give you five more and then five more and then five more and then five more and five more. So that was a bad thing I learned heading into a new year. But point is, point is 
that you'd set alarms five minutes, you know. If you were worried you were going to be late to work, you'd take that risk. Because we are desperate to know that God is real. We're desperate to know, to know him and to talk to him and to speak to him. And as I say that, many of you are like, well, yeah, that's fine and good, Jason, but that's not what my prayer life is like. That's not what my time with God is like. He's not in the flesh. I can't see him. I can't touch him. It's invisible. It's just spirit. It's, you know, it's not, it's not that easy. But I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to imagine and think for a second that there are places and times that you can go and you can be sure that you can find God. So the question is, why don't we? If the Bible promises you and me, if you'll search for God, you'll find him. If the Bible promises you'll be found by me, if the Bible promises if you'll come close to me, I'll come close to you, then why don't, why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? One of the books that I read this last year that made a profound impact on me was a book called Dopamine Nation. Dopamine Nation, uh, it's by Dr. Ann Lemke and uh, she's, a, she's a doctor that, that wrote this book giving just a lot of stories and data to describe kind of the crisis that our society um, is in. And one of the points that she makes about all of us and the, and the state of our, of our world and our, and our society is that one of the reasons that we are so miserable is because we work so hard to avoid misery. Wow. Let me say that again. That one of the reasons that we are so miserable is because we work so hard to avoid misery. And she gives a lot of examples of the way we do that. We distract ourselves. We become addicted to things. We get busy. And so in essence, she says that um, these factors come together and what we're desperately searching and hoping that we could have this, you know, never miserable, always exciting, always pleasurable life, but it really just ends in despair. And I want to show you this image that I put together. This is not from her book, but, but it kind of summarizes what she was saying, that, that you and I, if we're not careful, we will kind of, kind of go with the flow as a society and in our community and in our world, desperately trying to avoid pain, desperately trying to avoid boredom, desperately trying to avoid insignificance. And, and we, what happens is we end up becoming distracted, addicted, and exhausted and feeling this sense of despair. And we are distracted because, you know, we're bored and we're addicted because we're coping with something and we're exhausted because we're busy. And so we're desperately trying to not feel a certain way, but it's only causing us to feel worse in the long run and making it harder for us to feel better. In her book, Dr. Tom Finnegan says that we are cacti in a rainforest. I thought that was a powerful image. He said that we've become cacti in a rainforest. We're drowning in dopamine, and so we need more reward to feel pleasure and less injury to feel pain. And I think that's a great summary of where so many of us, so many of us find ourselves. That things that should provide joy and pleasure aren't enough for us, and things that maybe should not injure us as much as they do really injure us and cause us substantial pain. And the reason that I bring all of this up is because, you know, we're answering the question, why don't we seek God as much as maybe we could or should? And there are lots of answers to that question, our sinful nature being one of them. But from a very practical standpoint, 
We don't seek God as much as we want to because we are distracted, addicted, and exhausted. And when we do make any attempts, we bring that version of ourselves. We bring that state that we are in to God. So we show up to try and pray exhausted, distracted, and addicted. We show up to church or to try to read our Bible or to fast or to serve or to have meaningful conversations. And we show up exhausted, distracted, and addicted. And when you live in that state for long enough, what happens is, if we're not careful, we can come to God and we can want God to kind of stimulate us enough to kind of out-stimulate all of the other things in our life that we're hoping stimulates us. That was a tongue twister. Let me say it a different way. We come to God and we want God to exceed all of the excitement and adrenaline and dopamine and stimulants that, you know, binging shows and vaping and sex and, and, and sports gambling and all of these things that we're doing to try to feel a sense of adrenaline and rush and pleasure and dopamine to try to avoid life. We come to God and we want God to just be a better version of all of those things. Wow. Wow. And so we come to God and we say, God, okay, be better than all of those things. And here's what's great. He is better than all those other things. But he's not better because he outstimulates the stimulants. He's better because he does it in a completely different way. But it does require us to have a different mindset. It requires us to have a different posture. And so we don't show up to God exhausted, distracted, and addicted. And God says, I'm going to distract you better than them. I'm going to get you addicted better than them. I'm going to get you busier better than them. What happens when we do that is we say, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to replace all of my commitments with God commitments. And I'm going to replace all of my stimulants with like the presence of God. I'm going to get like God, Holy Spirit hits. And we try to, and that's not the way that it works. The presence of God is not meant for that. And so in this way, really, I mean, if you really want to kind of boil it down to its Base In this way, all of our sinfulness and all of our sinful actions and all of our sin is really just us trying to find real happiness outside of God. This great line from Ignatius says that sin, he defined it this way. He said, sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. So, 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 so imagine, this is what's happening. I want you to imagine this, that God is, is, is over here inviting us, drawing us, wanting us to seek him and to find him. But he doesn't talk louder than the noise. He, he doesn't use flashy neon signs to try to match Times Square. He's just over here drawing us and saying, hey, come to me. Come to me. Come find me. Come be with me. Come spend time with me. This is where your deepest happiness and true happiness and meaning and longing will be found, is with me. He, and, and, and we, because of our sinful nature, because of our struggle, all of us, we want to believe that's true, but there's too many distracting, addicting, exhausting things over here that we keep buying into that's only leading us to despair. And so instead of trying to find 
that meaning and that happiness in our world and in society and with all of the gimmicks and the ways that they promise us. I want to give you maybe a new framework, a different framework to help us understand how we can seek God. And so we'll use the same image, but just change some of the words. Instead of us living this addicted, distracted, exhausting life, I, I want us to begin to think about seeking God through the lens or the framework of grace, effort, and attention. Grace, effort, and attention. That when we can get these together, when we can get grace and effort and attention together in our lives, that that's really where we will find God's presence. This deeply settling, satisfying presence of God. Grace, effort, and attention. So let's look at each one of those words. Let's start with grace, because it has to start with grace. As we begin to talk about seeking God and 10 days of surrender and prayer and fasting and Bible reading and all those things, it has to start with grace. Because if it doesn't start with grace, then it's all selfish on your part anyway. Because you're just trying to appease God, please God, get from God. The beginning of all of our attempts to find God has to begin with the recognition that it's God who's inviting us. That it's, we don't deserve to be able to find God. We don't deserve to be able to, to, to be with God. That he's the one that's drawing us. That it's Jesus who has made it even possible for us to have a relationship with God. Which means that we're not doing any of this to earn something from God. And this is very hard because this is, we are, we are um, very self-reliant people. Very, you know, we, we love control. We love to take matters into our own hands. And so the easiest thing for you and I to do today when we're talking about seeking God and finding God is to say like, okay, I'm ready, I'm in. I've, I've, I've blocked out two to four on Tuesday. What do you want me to do? Tell me, I'm ready, I've got it. Give me five steps, give me five things. Tell me what to do. And I do it, I promise God I'll do it. I promise Jason I'll do it, I'll do it. I'm going to be better at this. I'll show you. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I've got it. I got it. And we're, and, we're, and we're trying so hard. That is trying to find God without grace. And it sucks all of the joy and all of the life out of seeking God. Philippians 2.13 says this. It says that for it is God working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This has huge implications. This means that even you sitting here right now, if you're sitting here saying, you know what? I would like to know God. I would like to be closer to God. If you're thinking that, you're only even able to think that because God is giving you the desire and the power to want to. This is grace. This is grace that God is inviting me, that God is drawing me, that Jesus made a way for me to know God, that Jesus gives me a way to be, get into the presence of, of God. It doesn't mean we don't work at it, because we're gonna get to that in a second. But it has to start with grace. It has to start with you believing that you cannot earn anything from God that you do not already have but you can receive from God. Please hear that. You cannot earn, but you can receive. You can be a receiver from God. So we're receivers. And all of our seeking and looking isn't about earning anything. It's about receiving everything. We gotta start with grace. We have to be fueled by grace. 
But there is an effort part. So if we start with grace, it doesn't just mean that we say like, okay, God, like it's all, you're doing all the work anyway. So like, just let me know when you're ready because I'm just going to do nothing. Of course not. Of course not. I love the Dallas Reuter line. It says, grace is, not opposed to earn, grace is not opposed to effort, only earning. I love that. And we're not good at it, but we've got to ask God to help us to say, God, let all of my effort and let all of my trying not be to get a gold star from you. Jesus already gave me a gold star. Help me to believe that today I have the opportunity to receive from you. And so that's why I'm going to do what it is that I'm going to do. That's why I'm going to show up where I'm going to show up and try where I'm going to try. And so I really want to challenge you to, to, to show up. Please, if we're going to ever err on a, on a side, if we're going to go too far on a side, we're going to go too far on grace. If I'm ever going to be misunderstood, I want to be misunderstood about grace Okay, and so we're going to preach grace, and I hope you know that we do grace, 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 grace. But I am encouraging you at the start of this year, try. Show up. Open your Bible. Can you take five minutes and pray? Could you fast a meal at lunch? Can you show up to prayer meeting? Not because I need you to, and not because God needs you to, but because there is something that could be received if you're willing to show up. If you're willing to try, if you're willing to try. And so I want to encourage you to do that. But I do want to give you one warning. We're, we're starting these 10 days of surrender. I'm so excited about Jesse and our team leading us in this. I would love for you to be here on Tuesday nights. But I do want to give you just one warning as you show up and as you try. And this may be, I don't want to be preacher hyperbole up here, but this may be the most important lesson that God has been teaching me over the last 18 to 24 months. Because like many of you, I grew up in very um, amazing, powerful churches. And unintentionally, I, def I began to gauge and grade and define the effectiveness of my effort based on mood, based on feeling after the effort. Wow. Does that make sense to everybody? Wow. And so this is something that is a challenge when it comes to our effort. We have to be careful that we don't sentimentalize the idea of quiet time with God or think of it as just therapeutic for us. Spending time or seeking God is not the same thing as a warm bath, a glass of wine, a hot tub. It's not the same thing as going for a run or going to the gym. Listen, those things can be good for you and seeking God will make your life better. But this is not like some therapeutic thing or something in the self-care category. The, the seeking is just about our attempt to try to find God regardless of how it feels. And so we don't try to pray and then gauge whether or not it was good prayer or bad prayer based on how good the prayers felt. Because how we feel is much more biological than spiritual. I hope you know that. That how you feel is much more biological than, than spiritual. There are a million factors at play in your body to produce your mood. Wow. What did you eat for breakfast or dinner the night before? Did you stay up too late? Have you had your coffee yet? <laughs> are you stressed about a big meeting at work? Yeah. Are your kids yelling from upstairs while you're trying to pray? So you ate five guy triple cheeseburger last night. 
and you're trying to pray, but you just, it, it doesn't feel effective. Well, it may be the 3,400 calorie cheeseburger <laughs> with the milkshake you washed it down with. It's not that the Holy Spirit's not there, you know? And so I just want you to understand this. Like, we're, we're, we're not the best, we can't gauge whether or not it's working or not based on how we feel. A few years ago, I read a, a book on uh, willpower, uh, just like all of these studies about why we do what we do and why we don't do what we should do. And uh, one of the more fascinating studies in the book found that in parole board hearings where prisoners made their case to be released, only 10% were approved after lunch compared to 65% before lunch. That means that all factors being equal, a prisoner has a better chance of being released based on what the judge has for breakfast than the merits of the case. So if you're ever up for parole, get that 8 a.m. slot. Don't get that 1 p.m. Okay? We have a judge in the church. Maybe that's not true, but that's what the book said. I don't know. I know that's not what he did, but... I've referenced screw tape letters a lot to you, the book Screw Tape Letters. It's a it's a um, it's a satire written from the perspective of of a head demon and his pupil trainee about how to keep people from finding God. And in Screw Tape Letters, um, Wormwood, who is the, the head demon, described to his pupil how to keep his Christian discouraged. And this is what he says. It's kind of a long quote, but I'll read it to you. He says, keep them watching their own minds and trying to produce feelings there by the action of their own wills. And when they meant to ask him for charity, let them instead start trying to manufacture charitable feelings for themselves and not notice that this is what they are doing. When they meant to pray for courage, let them really be trying to feel brave. When they say they are praying for forgiveness, let them be trying to feel forgiven. Teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling and never let them suspect how much success or failure of that kind depends on whether they are well or ill, fresh or tired at the moment. My point is that effort is effort if you do it. It's not, it doesn't only count if it feels like it's working. It doesn't only count if, if it feels powerful. And as long as we believe that feelings are the best indicator for spiritual experience, we'll continue to apply an impossible pressure to our spiritual practices. So we have to get past equating seeking to feeling. And we have to stop asking questions like, did prayer work? And instead just ask, did you pray? We have to stop asking like, um, am I fasting right because I'm miserable? And instead just ask, am I fasting we have to stop asking like, was prayer service powerful? And just say, did I go to prayer meeting? Because if I did, then I did it. If I tried, then I tried. If I prayed, then I prayed. If I read my Bible, then I read my Bible. And that is effort. It's grace, it's God, it's Jesus, it's the spirit of God. It's me doing what I can do. But the last little piece is attention. Attention. 
That if we want to experience God's presence and we want to feel as if we are seeking and we want to feel as if we are searching, then it does require us to try and direct our attention towards God, to look for and to try to notice the presence of God. Those places throughout our day where the kingdom of God really is, is come and, and, and where it's, it, it, the heaven has come to earth. And if seeking is just trying to find something, then really what we're saying is we are starting our day saying to God, God, I, I want to see you. I want to find you. I want to notice you. My antennas are up. Help me to pay attention and to notice you. And this is where we have to kind of be careful, and I'm, just, I'm as guilty of this as anybody, and, but I, we have to be careful that we don't only think of seeking and searching for God as Bible reading and prayer. And man, I love those things. And you've heard me talk about how grateful I am to be married to Andrea, who is the exact opposite of me, because God knew what I needed, to remind me that spiritual maturity and spiritual depth is not just head knowledge, yeah. right? And so if I'm not careful, I'll say like, oh, you want to be closer to God? Here's 10 books to read. And realize that, that, yes, God meets us in the word, and yes, God meets us in prayer, but that's not the only place we can find him. We can find him in conversations with coworkers. We can find him at the red light with the homeless person. We can find him in hospital waiting rooms. We can find him in living rooms with our children and when we're tucking them into bed. And we, can, we can find him and feel him when we're checking our bank balance. And we, we can find him in any, in any number of different places. So this is good news for all the non-introverted, non-reading night owls. Maybe we'll write a book about that one day, like spirituality for night owls or something like that, right? Richard Rohr says it this way. He, he says, we cannot attain the presence of God because we're already totally in the presence of God. What's absent is awareness. God is with you 24-7, but do you know he's with you? Are you looking for him? Are you paying attention? That is the attention piece. So it's grace, it's Jesus. We've already got our gold star. There's nothing to prove. We can't earn anything. It's grace, it's effort, it's showing up to be a receiver, and it's attention, saying, God, I'm looking. I'm looking for you. Help me to see you. Help me to notice you. Help me to find you. Help me to feel you. Where are you working all around me? This is attention. So I want to end my sermon today giving us an opportunity to self-reflect. I think at the beginning of a year, this is a great opportunity. It's that Psalm 139 piece where the psalmist said, Search me, O God. Know me. Point out anything in me that offends you, lead me to everlasting life. I think this is a great opportunity for us to invite the Holy Spirit in to search us and to point out things in our life. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes with me. I want you to close your eyes. And I want to give us a little exercise, a self-reflection exercise. Keep your eyes closed and use your imagination with me, if you will. I want you to imagine for a moment a boat. A small boat, like a canoe type of boat, maybe, out on a body of water. Can you see it? On that boat, I want you to imagine that there's kind of a, 
a sail, like a white sail on the boat. I want you to imagine yourself sitting in that boat with an oar. You've got an oar in your hand. So here you are with an oar in your hand in this small boat out on this body of water. And this boat has this beautiful white sail in the center of it. Can you see it? Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that this boat with that white sail and you sitting in it with your oar, I want you to imagine for a moment that this this boat represents where you currently are in your relationship with God. Your, your, Your current state of spirituality. You see the boat? You see the sail? You sitting in it? If this represents where you currently feel like you are in your relationship with God, I want to give you four different scenarios. See which one resonates with where you would feel like you currently are with God. The first scenario would be someone right now who imagines that boat sailing. You would say, I am sailing in my relationship with God. The wind is at my back. It's blowing into the sail and I'm moving forward. There's momentum, there's progress. This is fun. Prayers are being answered. The presence of God is so strong in my life. I feel God and see God moving and acting in my life. This would be someone who would say, I'm sailing. Me and God are having a blast. But maybe you would say, no, that's not, That's not how I would describe my relationship with God. Maybe some of you would say, I'm not sailing. You would say, I'm I'm rowing. I'm rowing. I've got the oar and I keep rowing into the water. And rowing means that you don't necessarily feel the sail at your back. There's not really any momentum. It feels like a lot of effort on your part. God seems a little distant. His presence seems rare. Not many answered prayers. Maybe you're struggling with some doubts and fears. But you're not giving up. You're not wallowing in self-pity. You keep showing up. You keep trying. You're rowing. You're rowing. Can you see it? Some of you would say, no, no, that's not it. I'm not, I'm definitely not sailing. And I wouldn't even say that I'm rowing. The third maybe option is you would say, I'm drifting. I'm drifting. Drifting feels a lot like rowing, except rowing went on for too long and you just got tired, spiritually dry, too many difficulties in life, and you're drifting. You don't feel like approaching God. You don't feel like obeying God. Maybe you've drifted back into sins that you once had said you would stop or that you want to stop, but now you find yourself there again. Maybe you feel a spiritual apathy to your life. You'd say, I'm drifting, drifting. But there's one more. Maybe you would say, no, I'm definitely not sailing or rowing, and I remember drifting, but I'm not drifting anymore. Fourth option is you would say, Jason, I'm sinking. I'm sinking. My soul is drifting away. I feel like I'm going under. I've lost all forward motion in the Christian life. I feel numb, hard-hearted, resentful, thinking about giving up my faith altogether. 
from sinking. Can you see it? How would you describe where you currently are, your current state, and your relationship with God? Where's your soul? All right, everybody look at me. I don't know where you are or how you would answer that question, but I want to tell you what I'm praying for you and what I'm praying for myself. My prayer is that as we start this year, that you would feel the wind of the Spirit of God at your back. And all week, knowing that I was coming to this moment in my sermon, I had this image in my head, this, 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 this picture in my mind that I just, I couldn't shake. And, and maybe it was because of what I'm currently going through. But the image in my mind was that, that maybe you're here and like me, maybe you finished the year with your head down. That's what I saw in my head was that, that your head is down. Maybe your head's down because you're discouraged. Maybe your head's down because you're afraid. Maybe your head is down because you're sad and you're grieving. Maybe your head is down because you're embarrassed or insecure. But you, you ended the year with your head down. I, I did. I ended 2023 with my head down. And I just felt this week as I was praying and thinking for myself, but for you, I just felt as if God's spirit was was saying to me and prompting me to say, you'll never be able to see where I'm at and where I'm acting and where I'm moving as long as your head is down. And so my prayer for all of us who maybe ended the year with our head down is that as we start this year, that we would lift up our heads, that we would lift up our eyes so that we could give our attention to where God may be moving in our life. And so my prayer for you, whether you are sailing or whether you're rowing or whether you're drifting or whether you're sinking, my prayer for you is that you would feel the wind of the Spirit of God at your back and that you would seek him. And he promises you that when you seek him, you're going to find him. So I'm going to pray for us as we end today. And when I, when I get done praying, there's going to be an opportunity for communion. Our prayer volunteers will be down front as we do every week. If there's anything in your life you'd like to pray about, they'd love to pray with you. But as we come to the table today and we take communion, I want you to be reminded that, that the reason we seek God is because he first came to us. God sent Jesus. That Christianity is not religion based on your effort and based on you finding God and being good enough to get to God. Christianity is based on the fact that God initiated the relationship with us through sending Jesus Christ. You say, Jason, how can you be sure that when I seek God, I will find him? How can you be sure? I can be sure because of Jesus Christ, that God sent Jesus to come to us so that we could be sure that we could come to him. So as we come to the table today, let's take the bread and be reminded that Jesus came to us, that he initiated the relationship with us. Let's pray.